The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. We are at the All-Star break. Uh, the Warriors are 30-22. and 22. I, Tim Roy, joined now by uh, two guys who cover the Warriors day in and day out. Uh, Rusty Simmons of the San Francisco Chronicle and from the Bay Area News Group, Marcus Thompson. And, guys, here we are. Uh, Marcus, we're at the break now, and... And I guess I'm kind of torn because, on one sense, if you had told me on Halloween night in Phoenix that the Warriors would be eight games above 500 at the break in the number six spot in the West, I'd say, oh, hey, you know what? I, I would take that. But I guess we, we got a little greedy here coming down the stretch. And when they lose five in a row to go to eight games above 500, you know, I, I don't know. Should I, should I be concerned or is this right where they, they should be? I, you got to be concerned. Uh... I think Mark Jackson made a great point in that they've uh, they, they've made themselves uh, put themselves in a position to be able to take a hit like this, so that's a good thing. But there's no question you got to be concerned. They've lost five straight in ugly fashion. I mean, their defense just looks downright just awful. Uh, teams are just walking around on the words doing exactly what they want to do. If they lost five tough games five heartbreakers, five games where you felt like play here, play there, they you know, they would have won. Then that's different. These five games has been like the old Warriors, the Warriors that they've been trying so desperately to separate themselves from. So to me, that's a concern because that, that that's more of a falling apart than a losing thing. Rusty, what what do you think happened to the Warriors before that last road trip? Well, I think a couple of things. One, I think they're dead tired. Um, I mean, they played they played four games in five nights, came home for a couple, and then did it again, played four games in five nights. So I think they're tired. Um, and these guys have logged heavy minutes this year, and they've logged them a position up. You know, <clears throat> David Lee playing center, uh, Clay Thompson playing three, so Steph Curry playing the two. So they're, they're playing against guys who are bigger, stronger than them, and, and heavy, heavy minutes. So one, I think they're exhausted. Uh, and two, as they've tried to work Andrew Bogut back in, it's a bigger adjustment than maybe we thought. You know, Mark Jackson kept telling us, oh, it's just a better version of Festus Azili. It's going to be so easy. But but I think there's a little bit of letdown when, when the anchor comes back to the defense, when they have a true rim protector. I think we've seen that there's a little bit of letdown. The, they don't stop, stop dribble penetration anymore, and maybe they think, well, now we've got a true shot blocker behind us. Um, and also they're trying to work him in. They're actually letting him initiate some of the offense. It's not just like they're, they're asking him to only offensive rebound. They're, they're giving him the ball down there. So I, I think there's a bigger adjustment period than, than maybe we were led to believe. Um, and, and for that to come right when they're tired and on the road, I, I think it's been uh, just a whirlwind of bad things. Yeah, I have to, I have to admit, I thought, I thought the transition to Bogut was going to be easy, I, uh, easier than, than normal, and maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe I didn't factor in what you say, but maybe there's a little bit of a defensive letdown, you know, because the guys are, you know, on the perimeter saying, okay, if my guy gets by me, we got Bogut back there now. Uh, yeah, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's working in, in one sense. It, when, when the guy does get by him initially, I think Bogut's shown that, that he's healthy enough and good enough to come over and help and to stop somebody. The problem is that next pass, and so the guard beats somebody, gets to bogey, and then that guard passes to somebody else, and that's where we've seen the people being tired, that one extra rotation. Um, so 
Bogut's doing his job, but I think the, the next rotation is where they're missing it, that extra pass. And, and the Warriors, when they used to be making all of the right rotations and they were quicker than everybody else and making multiple effort plays, that's what they've lost this last couple weeks. And, and I think that, I think this this more than any point this season is where the loss of Brandon Rush really comes out because how how much different would things be if they could throw him out there now? You know, especially on a guy like James Harden, you know, you know, or even a Chandler Parsons who looks like Larry Bird out there. I mean, to me, to me, they really miss Brandon Rush now more than ever. I, that, that's that's what jumps out to me these last couple of games because they, like Rusty said, they are they are tired. I'm tired, so I know they're tired because they're out there playing, <laughs> yeah. and I'm just right. Exactly, so. exactly. We're we're all we're all tired. It's it's you know I'm you know I can't tell you this. I'm looking forward to this break. I really am. And we're the Warriors. That all, doesn't that all go back to Tim's original question? Like, should you be happy or concerned at 30 and 22 at the break? So they've done this without Bogut and without Rush. To me, I don't care. Which if is crazy, five right? Games yeah. in a row and looked awful doing it. You're 30 and 22 in the break without two of your top eight players. You should be ecstatic. Nobody thought this was going to happen. That's true. That's true. And you know what? If if again, I, I still go back to if if they can get through the next couple of weeks somehow close to 500. You know, if they if they come back from that East Coast trip and they're even close to eight games above 500, I really think they're in business because I think from what I counted the other night, 13 of the last 22 are against teams that right now are not in the playoff picture. And a lot of those are at home, so I, I think if they can get through the next couple of weeks, close to eight games above five hundred, I think I feel really good about where they're going to be in the Western Conference playoffs. Thoughts? No, I, I agree with that completely, and I, I think in some sense we've lost sight of that. At the beginning of this terrible, treacherous stretch, we said, "Oh, if they could just, if they could just hold serve, they could just break even, if they could somehow be around five hundred. Well, now they're eight games above 500 after this terrible stretch. So we know the schedule lightens up. We know they're going to be at home. Um, look, I, I think Houston's coming on strong. I still haven't given up on the Lakers. Um, I think Portland's point guard, even though he's a rookie, is not going anywhere. So I think there's some teams that are going to make it tough at the end um, that are right there in the Western Conference standings. But, but nobody has as light a schedule as the Warriors down the stretch. I just, Mark, think, I just think that if... It's so much bigger now, you know. Before it was like, eh, now it's like, can they really do that? Can they go to Indiana, Minnesota, Boston, New York? Uh, I'm missing a game. Philly, and walk away 500. Two weeks yeah, ago, yeah. I'd be like, no problem. Right. Forget three of those games, two or three of them. Now, I could see them losing those games. I could see them going one and four on that trip. Uh, so I just think the if is that much grander now. It's really a legitimate if and not you know they're going to win four out of eight, you know, or even, you know, uh, three th- three out of eight, you know, which 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 is basically old serve. Now, just the way they played, they've shown it's possible to lose five in a row, six in a row. They've shown they can just get off track like that. And, and maybe maybe it is just fatigue. But it's hard not to let that old Warriors, you know, thoughts creep in. Like, here we go again. Just, before I didn't think that was possible, you're, now I have to see it as possible. 
you're adding your complete uh, body of work there, right there. Your complete warrior experience, I think. I think all of us who have been around a long time, I think, ha- have that same thought. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, Rusty Simmons of the Chronicle, Marcus Thompson of the Bay Area News Group. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's, you know, I think that goes through a lot of Warrior uh, fans' minds right now. If you were to look at the deadline, which is also coming up, uh, first of all, Marcus, you go first on this one. Do you expect uh, the Warriors to be active at all? And if so, what would what kind of player would you add? I don't think they're going to do anything. Uh, I just I just don't see them giving up anyone. You know that that would allow them to get better. I mean, they have a lot of pieces like Bob Myers. They have a lot of a lot of players who, if you put them on a certain team in a certain situation would be really good for that team. And I just don't think they're willing to part with them. But what I think they need is a Brandon Rush type of guy. I think they need a guy who can come in and get them points off the bench but play really good defense. Because one of the things that Rusty and I talk about all the time is that second defensive unit, they just they just cannot score. And the Warriors are not good enough of a defensive team to just not be able to score like that. They need to score. Uh, and, and, and that unit with Draymond and Jack and, and Landry and Jefferson, I mean, they just don't have enough offense. They need someone who can come in and short spells, who can lock their guy up, but still give you something on offense like, like Brandon Russ did. Uh, but the problem is that person has to be, you know, somebody who's making $2 million and the team is probably willing to give them up for Jeremy Tyler in exchange, which is just probably not plausible. Yeah, I think it's interesting the, uh, that, that you mentioned that because I, I think, uh, Rusty, see if you agree with this. I kind of agree with Marcus in the sense where I think a guy that could score a little bit maybe doesn't doesn't have to be a three. He could even be like a, a hybrid one-two, but some some guy that can come off and, 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 and give him just a little bit of punch because – you know, I think one of the things about the Warriors, and we saw this in the first 40 games of the year, is the fact that if their defense is good enough, uh, they have enough firepower to where they can outscore teams. And I think that's, that's what they have to get back to, is having their defense be just good enough. So you want Nate Robinson back? No. <laughs> yeah, that's No. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say that so quickly? Yes. No, I do not want Nate Robinson back. No, I mean, I think I – think... Marcus is right. I think the guy they need is Brandon Rush, and they had him on the roster. He's just not going to be able to play this year. Um, and I think I think Bob Myers showed his hand last night when he said, we want to see this group together before we make any moves. Well, you only have two more games before the trade deadline, so you're not going to get to see them anymore. I mean, this is it. Uh, so I don't think they're going to do much. I wouldn't be surprised if they trade Tyler or Jenkins um, to get under the luxury tax. Uh, and, and look, you, the question was asked, are they going to be active? Yes, they're going to be extremely active. They're going to take every call, make every call. They're going to talk to everybody. And if there's a chance where they can unload Richard Jefferson or Andres Biedrins in a, even a lateral move, they're going to make that move. But um, I don't see them doing anything big. And, and I think they do need some scoring punch off the bench, but I'm not sure you can you can get that player with Andres Biedrins, Richard Jefferson, or one of the, you know, Tyler Jenkins, one of the end-of-the-bench young guys. You know, so now, you know what else I think they need, and okay. I think Steph Curry really agree with me. They need a finisher, yeah. you know, and maybe that's a, a, a three-four kind of guy, somebody who's gonna like take it on the break 
and actually dunk it, you know, or somebody who's who's going to finish strong. They need an athlete. You know, I wouldn't mind, you know, if they had like a Gerald Green, you know, a guy you're not going to rely on to to carry you. But every now and again, he'll come in the game and then the other team will say, uh-oh, all right, you know, we, we got to pay attention to this guy. They don't so, have so anybody you, like that. Harrison, so, Barnes is, Harrison Barnes has become Vince Carter on the Warriors just because they are that unathletic. I mean, he's a good athlete, but he's not really gay. But he stands out so much because they are just that unathletic. If they just got a guy who could run the floor hard, finish, you know, dunk here and there maybe, you know, go up strong, I, I think that will be a worthwhile pickup. And they probably could get it for cheap, you know, since he wouldn't be playing that much. And it's it. So again, you're going back to what the, they missed with Brandon Rush. You yeah, know? Yep. he's he's that guy. I mean, do you like uh, maybe Shumpert or or you mentioned Green, the Thaddeus Young, that kind of a guy? Thaddeus Young would be perfect, I think. Uh, I mean, I, Josh Smith is the guy I think who kind of encompasses all of it, but that's not possible. Nor would I probably even do it because he's a nutcase. Uh, but. That, that kind of guy, just, that three just, four kind of can play multiple positions. Is an athlete, rebounds, defend. I mean, that would be ideal. A guy like that is just. Just, uh, just think though, if, you, if it's Josh Smith, nineteen thousand people at Oracle screaming, "Don't shoot the three. I mean, it's just you know, that would be that would be heartbreaking. My, my fear with any of those moves, I mean, Josh Smith, they want the moon from him for him, and then he wants a max contract. Thaddeus Young is going to take something to get him. Mont Shumpert, the Knicks are asking for a first-round pick. I, I don't think the Warriors need to give up their future for this season. I don't think there's a ton of people who... And not for those guys. Yeah, th- th- this is a team that's going to win the championship. I think this right. is a team that's developing something. This I don't is more, think there's this any is... problem with playing out the, these 30 games, making the playoffs, and trying to make a run with this group and seeing if it works. There's no problem seeing if it works for 30 games plus the playoffs. And then making a move in the offseason. They had a great offseason this past year uh, with the Jared Jack trade and the Carl Landry free agent signing. Um, so I, I don't have any problem letting them evaluate these, these 30 games and this, this playoffs and, and, and figuring it out from there. That, that's, a, that's, a really good, that's a really good point because we're kind of just throwing out names and having some fun with it. But, yeah, it's a really good point. I, I, think, I think Myers, though, might get enticed a bit because how many teams do you think are calling about Jared Jacker and Landry, you know, uh, as much as much as those guys have been every bit of the difference for the Warriors this year, chances are you can't keep both of them. Uh, Jared Jack just might get a hundred million dollars a year next year. I mean, just based on the way he's played, he just might. I, I have this. I have this feeling that he's going to get priced out of the Warriors market because some team is just going to fall in love with him and just and, and pay him a lot. Uh, do do if they get a deal like that. What if what if all it took was Jared Jack and you know maybe a Draymond Green to get a Thaddeus Young? Would you do it then for a guy who's who just might not be here next year anyway? I think I think Bob Myers is going to be faced with some of those because teams need a Jared Jack. They need a Carl Landry, especially those teams who are going to be contending for something more than just making it to the playoffs. And that, that's well, where I think it gets really interesting because those two guys, I don't think either one of them is going to be back next year. I think <laughs> Jack's going to cost too much. I think Carl Landry's going to opt out. I mean, he's not going to come back for $4 billion. So I think he's going to opt out and try to go get money somewhere. 
Um, I think the Warriors are going to lose both of those guys. So then it gets wow. really interesting. You've got to make that decision. They've meant so much to you this year. So are these last 30 games, is this, this playoff run worth it to you to hold on to them, or do you try to go out and get a younger piece, somebody else that you can add into this developmental role? Well, the other thing, too, is that you know, they have a couple of contracts that will get a lot more attractive next summer. Yep. And so they might be able to make moves in order to keep – one or both of them. But let's, let's, we're kind of raining on the parade here before, you know, we even get to it. So, so, so take this team as it is and, and say the, the final uh, 30 games or so. And, and, well, before we get to that, let's, let's go back to Bob Myers for one second. I'm going to go back because you guys brought up a very interesting point. Uh, how much consideration does Bob get for executive of the year? I think he, if the Warriors, you know, finish strong, if they get it turned around and get it back going again with the, the home schedule of March and April, uh, he's got to be in the running for, for the moves that he made to, to have this quick of a turnaround. I think he certainly has to be in the running, and it's fascinating to think that a team down south brought in the best center in the game, a Hall of Fame point guard, all these veteran pieces you know, to sit on the bench for, not, for nothing, for the minimum, veterans minimum, and that, that somebody could somehow pass that, that group down there with the Lakers for executive of the year. But I think Myers has to be there between – hitting on all three draft picks and finding an unsigned drafted rookie who, who's playing and contributing for you. Um, and then the Jared Jack trade and the Carl Landry signings. I think he had a huge offseason. Um, and everything's just kind of fit together. I, I think it's been unbelievable. If they hold on and, and make the playoffs, I think he's in the running for sure. I mean, I don't see who, who's done a better job. If you just talk about just what it takes to be a general manager, I mean, this guy went to the flea market and came out like crazy. You know, I mean, he didn't have, he didn't have you know, big money to spend. You know, he didn't have, he had three draft picks. He had the real right. And somehow he turned that into plus 20 wins probably. You know, so where's the better job? You know, yeah. that, that where's the GM who's done a better job? You could look at the Lakers somehow make it. I mean, they have everything. You know, who's not going to want to? Who's not gonna? You know, that's easy. I could be the GM of the. Eh, probably not, but I just think that's an easier job. My, what Myers did is kind of phenomenal when you really think about it. Jared Jack for for nothing basically because that Darrell Wright deal was done. He was gone for some dude name we can't even pronounce, and that turns into Jared Jack. Uh, Landry, we all thought would get more than four million dollars. He ended up getting that guy. I mean. He, he he went to the flea market and came out with a luxury with luxury items, uh, and that to me is more impressive than any GM who went with a bunch of money and signed you know some big name player. It's it's where we saw Myers' relationships really come to fruition. Like we all heard about that when when he was going from being an agent to being a GM, and we kept hearing, oh, he's got such good relationships around the league. That's where it's really going to help us out, uh, and we saw that this off season when. You have a deal done with Philadelphia, and all of a sudden, because you know people in New Orleans, and because you've been good to them, you finish off a three-team trade and you get Jared Jack. And then Carl Landry did get more money from other people. But because Myers and Bartlestein have a relationship, because David Lee is represented by Bartlestein, and because the team did, did good for Brandon Rush and Lou Amundsen in a deal, um, Carl Landry chooses to come here. So... I think that's what we started to see now is that Myers, on top of making good decisions, has these relationships that have started to pay off. 
So let's go, uh, Rusty, you go first. Which, uh, give me one player this year that has really impressed you on the Warriors. I think Jared Jack is the guy. I think he's been, been the key to everything. In fact, we did a, a poll of a bunch of the local media, and I figured all of the MVP votes would be for David Lee and Stephen Curry. Uh, and, and Jared Jack actually got quite a few. I think he's been just, just an integral piece to this team. Same question to you, Marcus. I think I'm going to go with, since he already went with Jared Jack, I'm going to go with Steph Curry. Uh, Jared Jack, to me, is the obvious choice. Uh, but Stephen Curry, for a guy who's coming off a major ankle injury, and I still I still feel like he's never really played point guard before. You know, playing next to Monte is just not, it wasn't his team. I just I just get impressed with, with his willingness to be that guy for this team. And, and, you know, instead of going with David Lee, I mean, there are times where this team is awful and he just comes out in the second half and really takes it upon himself. Uh, and, and he plays defense and he passes. And he seems to be willing to do everything that's necessary. And to me, it's impressive how they look at him. I mean, David Lee is an established veteran. Uh, you know, he's the 2010 guy they like. But that locker room looks at Steph as, wow, Steph's, Steph's our beast, you know, and who? there was questions about whether he could be that guy coming off the ankle injuries. It looks like he's that guy. He's that kind of difference maker guy uh, that they really only got for you know, $44 million. Yeah, the things that always fascinate me about Curry are you hear all the time in the league that great players are made in the offseason, the guys who add something to their game and come back with it. Well, he spent the – every offseason of his career rehabbing, and still he manages to come back every year with something new to his game. So somehow he's finding enough time to work on his game and add something while he's rehabbing, while he's getting treatment, while he's strengthening that ankle. That's really impressive to me. And then what Marcus was talking about there, being the guy in the locker room, he is just such a player magnet. I mean, even on that world championship team where he's probably the worst player on that team, but guys, superstars in the league are asking Curry, where are we going tonight? What are we doing? Um, he, players love him. Uh, they think he's a good player, and they like being around him. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think he's the kind of guy that you, that you give. The more responsibility you give to him around a team, the better he's going to be. You know, if you give him the ball and say, okay, you're going to run our team now, I think he's going to get better and better as opposed to being a guy who is uh, – uh, asked to play a supporting role. I, I just think he's better when he knows he's running the show. And I thought Jack, because Jack is, you know, he's a starting point guard in this league. He's done it before. He's a veteran guy. Yeah, I mean, how I many t- how many teams can he start for? Yeah. I thought that would be a problem. Jared Jack, who is a consummate veteran, who is respected around this league, says he's the background singer. You know, I mean, that's, to me, that, that's that's a big tip of the cap to Curry because he could be like, yeah, I should be starting. You know, I think uh, it like many other words, man, I should be starting. You know, I should have a ball in my head. He's like, that guy, Steph Curry, is unbelievable. I'm I'm the backup, and I want to stay here in this position. I mean, to me, that that really says a lot about about what they see in Curry, and you can always tell about players from what other players say. I think it says a lot about Coach Jackson, too. And somehow we've gotten through this whole first half without saying anything about him. And, and he's got to be in the running for Coach of the Year. And I think the two things that he's done is one right there. He's, he's convinced all these guys that they have a role. He's convinced Jared Jack that he's the backup point guard. 
um, when a lot of teams would have him, he'd be arguing that he should be the starting point guard, or that or that he should be starting and Clay Thompson should be sitting on the bench. It doesn't even have to be Stephen Curry. Um, so that's one thing that I think Jackson's done a great job of is he he handles egos, he convinces all of them that he has a that they have a role. And the other thing is he's convinced this team that they're the underdog in every game, they're undermanned, they're undersized, and that's not true anymore. <laughs> they're not the underdog, <laughs> they're not undersized anymore, but he's convinced them that they are, and they go into every game, save for the last couple weeks, with this hunger to play and to prove everybody wrong, and I'm not sure who they're trying to prove it to anymore except for themselves. They, they, they've just created this, this in their locker room that they're the underdog, and, and to me it's fascinating. Well, the other the other thing too is, you know, I think Mark has been great. He's been consistent. The voice, the the message, you know, and and uh, you know, as as people who have to use quotes and the me on ta- on basically what is tape, but no longer tape, but digital. But and, and you guys, of course, in, in uh, online and, and in the printed word. But you know, he 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 has that same thing he sticks to. But I think the players like that it's the same message over and over again. You know, you're not there's no you know he says no excuses. Well, that that's kind of a good thing. He doesn't get the players any outs. Hey, we we screwed up. We we own that, as he likes to say. And I think that kind of consistent voice really helps in, in a in a locker room because you know the, it's the it's kind of like okay, we let's get back to our same things that we we stand for and we do all the time and and like you said up until the last 5 games I think they've been really consistent that way and that's been a reason why they've got off to a great start. So yeah, you're right. I think Marcus has had a really uh, a great second season and has has done a great job with this this bunch. You know, I I like yeah, the consistency part is so true because it's hard to even listen to. I mean, me and Rusty, we know what he's going to say. You know, we sometimes, <laughs> before he comes out there, scripts out the quote sheet before because you know what's coming. Uh, and, he, and that does work well in the locker room. I mean, I, I think he is a better basketball intellect than he might get credit for. I know people think Malone is the guy. But there are so many. There's at least three or four times that I've questioned some, like some move of his, and then he has his rebuttal, and I'm like, yeah, that's just not going to work. And then you look at 30 games in and be like, dude, how how are they how are they winning? You know, so he, he's not just a motivator. I mean, he's a good motivator, but he 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 knows more basketball than I think he gets credit for. And maybe that's 17 years of point guard shining through, but he knows when a guy is is not in a good position. And we say, hey, how come this guy isn't playing? How come this guy isn't playing? And he won't ever throw the guy under the bus. But he's got an explanation for why that guy isn't playing. And whether we agree with it or not, usually over time, he he it turns out to be right. You know, with this small lineup, we've been we were killing that forever, but. How, how can you argue that there are eight games over five hundred? I know. know. Hey, hey, for the for the longest time, for the longest time, their best lineup on the floor, uh, at least in terms of the numbers, this is you know way before uh, Bogut was getting close to coming back, was when they would play Landry with Lee, Jarrett, Jack, Curry, and Clay Thompson. And I would think, God, you know, you need a center out there. But then when you look at the numbers, and the numbers wouldn't lie, they're outscoring teams with that, with that group. So, it, so you know, it, he has a good, a good feel for it. I, I, again, I think his message has been really consistent. And, uh, and, and I love 
what he's done on the defensive side because you know the last five games notwithstanding uh, their schemes this year have been have been excellent and they've really allowed guys that you wouldn't think individually who are great defenders but they've allowed them as a group to to become a a, a good defensive team and, and that's that, that's really hard to do in this league but that's you can say their names that's been a consistency <laughs> factor too i mean they're not changing their defensive principles game to game that much it's not like oh because james harden's here we're going to all of a sudden play a box in one you know they they basically stick to what they're doing regardless of who they're playing. Like They know the stats of the, of the player and what, what an opponent likes to do and those sort of things, but they're sticking to what they do and then they try Even to do it, it well. Them, yeah. And David Lee was talking about that the other day, that in the past you got you went, went to shoot around you got caught up so much in, oh, my goodness, what are we changing tonight? And then you got into the game, and while you were thinking about it for that one second, like what's my adjustment tonight, the guy was already by you. And now all of a sudden he does the same thing every night, whether it's, Hedging on a screen or not, or you know, it's the same thing every single night, and they've gotten pretty good at all that stuff now, even though they're not great defenders. That, that's a calculated decision, you know. That to me, that impressed me. They said, you know, he said we looked at the data, and the data says if we protect the paint, in the long run, we're going to win. So even while everybody's getting hot, you know, they play Houston and Oklahoma City, and all of a sudden everybody's the greatest jump shooting team. It takes some some extra to say we're going to stick to what we know works. We're going to stick to the data and convince your players this is the right thing to do. Even while threes are raining, teams are shooting 50%, uh, we're going to stick to what we do, and you just got to, you know, you just got to carry out the mission, so to speak. You got to get back to hustling out there. Because I'm looking at the coach like, look, clearly it's not working. You need to make an adjustment. And he's like, Here's what we do. We are not doing what we have been doing. So you guys need to get back to where you were, instead of saying, "All right, well, let's make this tweak here." And I think with a young team, that is that is super vital, just to get them, keep them consistent. Here's what we do. It works. We've seen it, and we're not just going to change because you stop doing your job. No, you start doing your job again. That's one of the other things that I like so much about Jackson is. He doesn't need to prove to anybody that he's the smartest guy in the gym. I think even back to his TV announcing games when he got ripped for being more of a catchphrase guy than an X's and O's guy, and he could have broken it down any way that he wanted to, but he decided to do the catchphrase thing, and, and he got paid for that. And well, as yeah, a coach it... now, he sends the same message every game in the media, and he doesn't care if he's being questioned or anything. He doesn't need to prove that he's the smartest guy. Now, sometimes Marcus and I get to talk to him, off the record at shoot-arounds, and then he'll start breaking down play-by-play play and quadrant-by-quadrant quadrant and set-by-set, and, and you're, like, you're like, oh, my goodness, he knows everything. <laughs> well, that's that's the, you know, that's I thought that was, to me, one of the things that he uh, did well on the TV was, you know, he had he had Jeff Van Gundy alongside. He's a coach. Let the coach be the coach, and, and you you know, he was talking about the emotion of the player and that, that. And yeah, he got caught in the, in the catchphrase thing, and then it worked for him, and and it, but he did what to make that three-man booth work. He did what he needed to do to make that booth work, and and to me, I I, I always liked that part about him. And and uh, you know, the, you can't. The other the other thing I like about what he does is that he hires coaches and lets them work. 
You know, those guys get out there, and hey, everybody's got a certain player, and those players work on, you know, they work on the development of those players. He lets Coach Malone do what he can do best, and, and I think that's a, that's a sign of a good manager because a lot of coaches, at, you know, we've seen in years gone by, whether it be Warriors or other teams, you know, at some point they, you know, they, they don't have that, that trust factor in their staff sometimes, and so they try to do everything themselves. And that eventually is going to lead to ruin. You just can't do it. Not at this level, but hey! Before I let you guys go, let's let's look at the last uh, thirty games now. Thirty games left in the season, and and uh, Rusty, what do you see? What do you expect? You know, they're, they're coming off this five-game losing streak. Obviously, the break comes at a great time for them. It's a great time to get away and you know clear the head of what's going on the last week and a half. What do you see over the last uh, 30, 30 games? Yeah, my opinion on this actually changed a little bit last night. I, I started thinking, man, that's rough. That you lose five in a row, and then right after you come back, you have to go on that tough five-game road stretch. And, you know, all those teams are getting healthier. Minnesota will have Rubio and Love, and Indiana will probably have Granger, and New York will have Amari, and Boston will have Bradley, and Philadelphia might have Bynum. So you look at that, and you're like, oh, man, these better teams than they saw the first time around. Um, and I thought, oh, this is going to be bad. But then that's what had made the Warriors great for the first half of the season was when it looked like they had no chance they somehow rallied around this thing of being undermanned and undersized underdogs. And so I think it's almost a great thing that they had this five-game losing streak at the break. They're going to come back, and everybody's going to be panicked and concerned, and they're going to go out on the road for this tough stretch. And I think this is something where they'll rally around, and that chemistry and character that they've talked about all years should shine through. If not, then they're not the team we all thought. Marcus, before you answer, the, the, add this to your answer, and it's something I'm, I'm starting to think about maybe the last few weeks, even before the, the losing streak. It almost seems, too, as, as Rusty says, you know, they've been playing the underdog role, but I think teams, Marcus, are starting to bring their A game against the Warriors. You know, they're saying, hey, we can't, you know, this is not going to be like it's, you know, used to be coming into Oracle Arena. We've got to come with a better game to win here. Do you see any of that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, as as Bogey said, they're the hunted now. They're not the hunters. Uh, they're they're. You hear Chandler Parsons, you know, talking trash to the Warriors. You know, when <laughs> he looks at the Warriors, like man, let's go take them down. Jeremy Lin is saying they're ahead of us. We need to go take them down. I mean, when does that happen? Uh, I think that I think that creates uh, a different mindset. It makes you have to play the game differently. Where you trying to take something from somebody else. Now they're trying to take something from you. That's a little bit different, and I think the adjustment period for that has been tough. But I think Rusty's right. I think I think this is actually going to be a good thing for them. I think it's a very humbling thing. I think they know they're not as good as they thought they were. And I think, you know, coming down this stretch, they, they know they've got to get back. You know, they made, they made this season what it was with that seven-game road trip that everybody thought they were going two and five on. And now we all think they're going to go one and four on this next one, you know. So they're back in the position that they were, where people are doubting them. Nobody thinks they're going to be good. And I think once they come off this road trip, I think that's where the Warrior fans kind of carry them home because this stretch of games, I think it's going to be like the uh, 07 08 season, you know, uh, where everything is online and it's all at Oracle and it's all where. They have to win it. They have to win it at home. And I think that kind of intensity will give them what they need to get over the top. I think it's going to be crazy down the stretch, but 
as long as they get that mindset back. And I think that road trip coming off straight out at Utah, who's right behind them, right away they'll have to get back into that mode that helped them early on in the season. Yeah, no question. Utah's right there, and, and uh, it's going to be a big game for them and a tough place to play, and, and uh, we'll see how the break will help them and whether or not they can get back to where they were in the first half of the season. And as you say, Marcus, those uh, 16 of the last 22 at home, nine of the 16 home games, as of my count right now, are non-playoff teams to the moment. Now, of course, the Lakers and Portland are in that mix. We both know they're capable ball clubs, so uh, they have to throw that in there. But certainly it's it's right there. Hey, uh, guys, I really enjoyed this. Marcus Thompson, the Bay Area News Group, and Rusty Simmons, the Chronicle. I uh, enjoyed this. Think of me if you're going to Houston. I will not think of you. <laughs> <laughs>